Hey everyone, welcome back to Pause and Reflect, a podcast where two vet techs try to educate pet parents about the challenges of owning pets. Shortly after posting the podcast, we found out that there are many other podcasts called Pause and Reflect. Most of them have some sort of subtitle, which does help separate them from us, but we are rethinking the name of the podcast to help make us more unique. If you guys have any suggestions, please feel free to reach out to Darren or myself, and we will uh, take them into consideration. As you'll notice, Darren is not with me today. Uh, He is unfortunately not feeling well, but he will be back for the next one, and I'm sure there will be times where he will have to do a podcast by himself, as I will not be available. That's just how it goes sometimes. This episode may be a little short, as it's sort of a special episode, but we talked about it, and we both wanted to get this podcast out before Halloween uh, to let people know uh, how they can try to keep their pets safe during all the craziness. Uh, that happens around this time. Before we get into anything, I just wanted to reiterate again that uh, we are not veterinarians, and therefore anything that is said in this podcast is all for educational purposes. And if you feel like you do have a true uh, issue or concern with your pet, please go seek professional services from a veterinarian. So start off, probably the most obvious concern about your pet getting into your kid's candy uh, is uh, choking hazards. The hard sugar candies like the Jolly Ranchers or Starburst or like lollipops, suckers, those types of things, uh, those can potentially just be swallowed. So that's definitely something to take into consideration when bringing back candy into the house. Um, also, just the wrappers, too. A lot of the wrappers make uh, crinkly sounds, usually. Uh, those are going to be very attractive to cats who like to play with those and potentially would eat them. So now we're going to move on into chocolate. And I think that's definitely something that most people tend to know uh, already, that chocolate is not good for dogs. And I'm going to get into the why behind that little history on the process of making chocolate. We collect the seeds from the cocoa plant and we uh, crush the, the seeds. The seeds are roasted, they're ground, and then they're pressed to remove the seed oil and that's what uh, called cocoa butter and that's used in sunscreens and white chocolate and then the hulled cocoa beans are uh, ground up and they produce a, a liquid called chocolate liqueur and the chocolate liqueur is actually what ends up getting used to make all the other chocolates so we've got you know the milk chocolate dark chocolate baker's chocolate those all have different levels of theobromide, and caffeine. And both of those compounds are known as methylxanthines, and those are used as bronchodilators, uh, particularly in people with asthma or COPD. But caffeine and theobromide produce similar effects with the theobromide uh, lasting much longer than the caffeine. So that's the real issue with the chocolate. Now, the more uh, the chocolate liqueur is in a product, the more theobromide is in the product as well. So the um, milk chocolate has the least amount, which only about 10%. The dark chocolate usually has about 35% of that chocolate liqueur. And then the unsweetened baking chocolate uh, is usually just straight chocolate liqueur. And it's also uh, has about 50 to 60% of that cocoa butter, which is just the fat portion of the uh, cocoa plant. And like I said, the cocoa butter is usually used to make the white chocolate. Therefore, the white chocolate actually doesn't have 
any or very little theobromine in it, so um, it tends to be a lot less uh, dangerous in that aspect. It is going to be higher in that fat content, which can cause uh, other issues, which we will get to in a moment. So as you can probably guess, if a healthy animal is ingesting the theobromine and the, the caffeine, and they don't need the therapeutic effects of those compounds, then um, there can be some issues. In higher doses, theobromine can cause vomiting, diarrhea, hyperactivity, tremors, fast heart rate, and irregular heart rhythms, seizures, and even death in severe cases. Now, if your dog does end up eating chocolate, try your best to remember or find the wrapper of what type of chocolate it was. That way we can know how aggressive we need to be with our treatment because if they got into, say, just some Hershey Kisses, then, you know, depending on the size of the dog, that might not be as severe as, say, you know, a little chihuahua getting into a, a whole pan of, say, like Baker's chocolate. The effects of the theobromine usually takes about four days to work its way out of the system. So um, depending on the severity uh, and how much they ate, they could be in the hospital for, for several days. Usually the first step to treatment is inducing vomiting as soon as possible. Obviously, if you're out of the house and you come back home and you've noticed that they've eaten chocolate, but you have no idea when they would have eaten it, then the sooner you can get to the clinic would be better. Usually, we would like to get them to vomit within 30 minutes and get good results with them vomiting that that chocolate up um, that doesn't mean that if you know it's been you know, more than 30 minutes you know don't bother bringing them in we still would potentially want to make them vomit just to help get as much out as possible after that we might want to run some blood work just to get a baseline of of where they're at um, and then potentially recommend uh, IV fluids and what's called uh, activated charcoal, which is not just charcoal that you can get out of your campfire. It's been treated specifically to help absorb toxic substances, and we use it a lot for other toxic ingestions, but we potentially would give that to them to help bind the theobromine uh, to keep it from being absorbed in the GI tract. In my experience, usually the most of the chocolate ingestions that we see just end up some pretty gnarly diarrhea and some upset stomach, but they can devolve into needing uh, more significant treatment, which would be IV fluids and potentially um, medications to help control tremors, seizures, or cardiac arrhythmias. Now for the white chocolate, that is made with that cocoa butter, so that's going to have a higher fat content in it and virtually no theobromide, so that's usually not an issue with the white chocolate. The issue with the white chocolate is um, more of the gastrointestinal concerns, mainly pancreatitis, and pancreatitis uh, just stands for inflammation of the pancreas. The pancreas is responsible for a lot of very important digestive functions. It produces a lot of digestive enzymes and some hormones to help us um, break down and then use the food that we eat. Um, the, the one that most people probably already recognize is insulin, and that's used to allow the cells to absorb that sugar uh, so that way they can use it for energy. So that's definitely a big concern, especially if you have a diabetic animal who are going to need that insulin to help counteract that extra sugar intake. Um, they may need support in hospital as opposed to an animal without diabetes. 
The symptoms for pancreatitis are going to be potentially vomiting, diarrhea, extreme lethargy, loss of appetite. They may be acting painful in their abdomen because pancreatitis can be very painful. And the diarrhea may be severe enough that you may see blood in it as well. Now, the next thing I'm going to talk about is xylitol, which is also known as birch sugar now. Xylitol tends to be a common artificial sweetener along with erythritol and sorbitol, although those don't tend to seem to have the same effect that xylitol does. Xylitol seems to stand out on its own uh, in this uh, aspect, but the uh, xylitol is usually uh, commonly used in sugarless gum, toothpaste, and uh, other uh, products like peanut butter uh, and things like that. Um, so you just got to be careful, especially with the peanut butter. Dogs tend to really like peanut butter. So just make sure that you're reading the, the label on there. And then with choosing gum, there's a lot of gums that have the xylitol in it specifically because it there are some studies that show that it has some added benefits of helping fight cavities. So that can be a big issue if your dog is getting into your purse or your, your jacket pockets or whatever and you have your, your gum in it. And then the xylitol is going to be probably found in a lot of the, more of those hard candies, not necessarily chocolate, although I suppose you could potentially find it in chocolate. You're probably most likely going to find it in those Jolly Ranchers, those hard candies. And uh, the xylitol is um, extremely dangerous. Uh, some sources say that death can occur within an hour. And how it works is that in, in dogs specifically, the pancreas confuses the xylitol with real sugar and it releases insulin to store that sugar. And unfortunately, since it's not real sugar, uh, the dog's uh, blood sugar level is going to plummet significantly. And that's going to result in weakness, disorientation, potentially seizures again. And in those cases are going to want to be seen immediately as uh, we need to get that blood sugar back up. The other unfortunate thing about xylitol is that it takes a very, very small amount to create these toxic effects as opposed to um, the theobromide or, or the chocolate did before. We could start seeing symptoms of xylitol toxicity within 30 minutes. Sometimes it can take up to several hours for the effects to start to show, um, especially in the bigger dogs. Now, the other thing that xylitol can cause is hepatic necrosis. We're still not sure exactly why this happens, but it has been correlated with xylitol toxicity. And usually what you end up seeing is internal hemorrhaging as the body loses its ability to clot because the liver is responsible for making most of the clotting factors. Fortunately, most sources do say that it takes a lot higher concentration of xylitol ingestion to cause the hepatic necrosis and symptoms don't usually show up for 8 to 12 hours so it's a little bit of a slower onset too although in the grand scheme of things 8 to 12 hours is pretty fast so if you do suspect that your dog has gotten into your chewing gum and it does contain xylitol please remember to bring in your packages and uh, know how many pieces that you had in there prior to them getting into it because the chewing gums tend to have varying amounts of xylitol in it. So that's going to make knowing how much they actually ingest it a lot harder. So the initial treatment for xylitol ingestion is similar. Um, hopefully, if we can see them within the 30 minutes, we can make them vomit the gum or the candy. Um, after that, it's usually just supportive care with IV fluids with some sugar in it, you know, monitoring that blood sugar level, and then potentially double-checking those liver enzymes and the dog's ability to clot for several days afterwards, especially in the instances of the higher concentrations. Unfortunately, the dogs that develop the hepatic necrosis usually don't survive. 
Yeah, I'm sure you're wondering why I didn't specify cats much through the xylitol portion. And apparently that's because xylitol toxicity doesn't uh, seem to happen in cats. However, if your cat does end up eating some of your gum or uh, some of the hard candies with xylitol, I would still recommend taking them in as those could potentially become foreign bodies uh, if they don't end up dissolving quick enough by the time they reach um, certain portions of the intestines, especially that gum. That gum is not going to uh, break down uh, very easily or very quickly, and that could be a, a big problem. As I mentioned before, xylitol seems to have some dental health benefits, and there are some products out there that have very small amounts of xylitol, especially the water additives to help with uh, dental disease. Now, I generally don't feel that those help very well anyway in terms of eliminating or minimizing the the tartar on your dog's or cat's teeth um so i i would generally just say don't use those there's other better ways you can do it there's chew toys uh or chew treats that are specifically made to help clean your dog's teeth a little bit better so just as a measure of you know better safe than sorry i i would stay away from those However, if you do choose to uh, use those, you just want to make sure that if you have a multi-pet household, if you have like a Great Dane and then you have some cats, if they're all sharing the same bowl, that you want to make sure to you know keep an eye out for them because what may not be toxic for a dog may be toxic to you know, the cat if you're using that product according to the manufacturer's dose. And then there's also the hazard of you know, if the dog finds the bottle, chews it up, you know, drinks the concentrate versus just what's been diluted in the water, um, those can also be issues. So I just recommend not even carrying them. Now, if you do find yourself in any of these situations and you're not sure exactly what to do, uh, maybe it's uh, late at night and there's isn't uh, an emergency um, facility available to you or it would it's going to take you a while to get there, you can call the ASPCA Pet Poison Hotline at one 888 Two four six four four three five. They're available twenty four seven, and you will get a um, pet poison consultant on the phone uh, to help start your case and potentially even elevate it all the way up to you know a veterinarian who could help talk you through some things that you could do at home. There will be a ninety dollar charge for that. However, if your pet does have a home again microchip and it's enrolled in the full service, which is just twenty dollars a year, that consultation is free and you can call the 1-888-HOME-AGAIN number and select the medical emergency option and they will also help walk you through on what to do. They'll start a case that can be transferred to your vet of choice if you are able to get into a vet and they will come up with a treatment plan that will already be ready for the veterinarian when you get there. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you guys found it informative and Darren will be back for the next one. Please make sure to comment if you can. We are available on Apple Podcasts now for those of you who've listened previously and don't see my updates on Facebook. So if you prefer to listen to your podcast over there, you can. I know they can accept comments. I guess I'm not as familiar with Spotify. Um, And uh, please let me know if there's anything you'd like us to expand upon. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. Bye.